0: Well, good morning everyone. Welcome to church today. My name is Kevin. I am the North Langley Community Church Aldegrove campus pastor and I'm really excited to see you all here today. It's, it's great. I've actually got to meet a lot of people that I know are visiting today and so uh, hopefully lots of people are saying hello to you as well and uh, I just want to say welcome here. If you're a guest or just checking out church Maybe it's your first time in church in a really long time, and you're exploring what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We just want to say, welcome here. We're really excited that you're here. Or maybe you attend somewhere else, and it's the summer, and you're here visiting with family or friends. That's great, and I'm excited to see you here as well. Today, we're, we're uh, having a sermon that is about 10 lepers. Now, uh, it's not leopards with a D, however, I have to confess, I've been using these words unintentionally, interchangeably this last week. So if you hear me say leopard, like the big cat, I'm actually referring to someone with leprosy, because it just keeps... I can't get it to stop coming out. It keeps coming out of my mouth, leopard, every time I want to say leper. And so uh, let's actually look at what leprosy is. Leprosy is also known as Hansen's disease, and it's an infection caused by slow-growing bacteria called Microbacterium leprae, which can affect the nerves, the skin, the eyes, the lining of the nose. It was actually way more common in biblical times, but it still exists today. I'm about to ask you an actual question, it's not a rhetorical question, and if you get the right answer, you get to come pick one of these chocolate bars I have at the front. I thought the kids might be in the service today, but then they're taking them out for water, which is way more fun. Uh, But, okay, so if you had to guess, which state in the United States would be currently having a leprosy outbreak? Yes, I saw a hand here. Florida, yes, come on up and grab a chocolate bar. No, sorry, not you, John, you sit down. That wasn't you at all, sorry. It was in the back. yeah, but I didn't point to you. <laughs> Sorry, John. Um, the answer to anything weird about the US is always Florida, isn't it? Have you noticed that? Yes, it is. And so uh, there, there's actually an outbreak happening right now. In fact, 81% of all cases of leprosy in the United States are currently in Florida. That's strange. Uh, and also, I, this came up while I, was, while I was reading about that. Okay, this is another one which, where you could win a chocolate bar. Um, and uh, here's the question. Which animal is most likely to give you leprosy? Yes. The correct answer is, in fact, armadillo. Yes, Claire, you can come up and grab it. How weird is that? Armadillos. Um, Nine-banded armadillos in the southeastern states are known to be spreaders of leprosy. How did you guys know that? Like, I've never heard of such a thing, and to be honest, all of this has nothing to do with today's sermon, but I enjoyed learning a little bit about leprosy and armadillos this last week. We are going through a series called Luke, where we're just going through the gospel according to Luke, and uh, we, we do it kind of chunk by chunk, verse by verse, and today we're in Luke chapter 17, starting at verse 11, and it's a story about 10 lepers who are cured of their leprosy, and one returns to give thanks to Jesus. Does anyone recall hearing a sermon on this very text here at Aldergrove before? We're not even a year old, but this is the second time that we're actually preaching from this text. So here's my question, question number one. Also for a chocolate bar, can you tell me who preached a sermon on Luke 17, 11 to 19? There are only about five people who have preached a sermon here. So this one shouldn't be too hard. Sorry? Matthew. Which Matthew? Yes, Matthew Price. Yes, okay. So on April 23rd, Matthew is here. You can come forward and grab a chocolate bar. Maybe you'll share with John. Um, You let John go. Okay. So uh, it was on April 23rd. And my next question is what series were we in? Why were we looking at Luke when we weren't in? What series were we in at the time? Does anyone remember? Yes. Abide, that's right, which was all about being apprenticed to Jesus through worship. And we were looking at, come on up here, Caleb, you can get a chocolate bar. We are all looking at uh, what it means to approach Jesus, uh, approach God in worship with a posture of thankfulness, with a posture of gratitude. I'm wondering why we do these sermons to begin with, because you didn't remember that one. But let's try this one. Let's try this one. Okay, Matthew said that as human beings, when we are complaining or feeling grumbly, we make one of four sounds. Can someone tell me what any one of those four sounds is? yes. Grr, that was one of the sounds. Okay, can you remember any of the other ones, Kevin? <laughs> Grr, with an R, okay, so there's like the M and the R sound. Okay, that's good, that's good. You can come get a chocolate bar. Um, and then the other two were, uh, were a sigh, which is, this is mine, when I'm feeling frustrated or complaining. If you and I are having a conversation and I'm taking a lot of slow, deep breaths, like... <sighs> That means I'm probably not enjoying our conversation. Um, And the other one that Matthew did is he said that we will make a T sound, kind of like a, I don't do that one. So, do you remember Matthew said, turn to your neighbor and tell them which one you make. So, turn to your neighbor and remind them which sound you make when you're feeling complainy or frustrated. All right. All right. Okay, now here's your last chance to win a chocolate bar. No one from the balcony's gotten one yet, so we're gonna try and keep our attention up there. There were two things when we did the sermon on April 28th from Matthew. He said there were two things that we could do to practice being thankful. What were they? Does anyone remember one of them? Yep, I see a hand up there. Nope, stretching. Um, Was not a hand yet. Anyone remember what one of the two things Matthew said we should do to combat? like, or sorry, to, to show that we are being thankful and grateful. Yeah. Yeah, so there is worship. Okay, that was kind of one of the, worship by saying what? Yes. Okay, so there were two. So one was count your blessings, and the other was just practice saying thank you. So come on up here, grab, oh, you just want to play. If your dad, does he want a chocolate bar? I'll let you guys figure that one out. So Matthew said that the two things that we should do as a takeaway from this text were to count our blessings and to just get in the habit and practice saying thank you. Now, we are going to be looking at the same text. (laughs) Good call, good call. Um, And although we've recently heard a sermon on this exact same text, I think it's actually important to recognize that we come in a different place. That your experiences this last week are different than your experiences were the week of April 23rd. And that as we come as different people, we're going to enter into the text with a different perspective. And we're not preaching the same sermon that Matthew did in April, though there will be a little bit of overlap. And some of our our takeaway points will be the same. But I think that we can practice the, the discipline of contemplation and reflection as we enter into this text again. And I want to tell you that that this is not a text that is like rocket science. You don't have to be a, a biblical scholar to get it. If you were to read this text, your kids were to read this text, chances are they would be able to come up with a good summary about what it's about. I am saying that the point of today's story is looking beyond the gift to the giver. That we look beyond the gift and we look to the giver. That we are actually responding in thanksgiving and gratitude And there's actually a lot going on here. So let's read the text together. Matthew 17, it'll be on the screen starting at verse 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice. They called, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. There's a lot going on here, and so I just want to kind of want to go through it a little bit by little bit. So Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem, and he's between Samaria and Galilee, and here's an interesting insight from Diane Chen. She says, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus passes through the region between Samaria and Galilee. Given the deep-seated hostility between Samaritans and Jews, one would rather be in one region or the other. So if you're a Samaritan, you'd rather be in Samaria. If you're a Jew, you'd rather be in Galilee. In between is this liminal zone where nobody feels at home and where the rejects of society are found. I love that phrase, that liminal zone, that boundary, that being on the outside of something, that transition place. If we were in Star Trek, it would be the neutral zones. Anyone watch Star Trek? Nope, didn't think so. Okay, we got one. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate that. So this kind of this liminal zone, this place in between where where only the rejects, where the outcasts of society is found. And I love that Jesus goes to that place. He didn't have to go to that place. He actually goes out of his way just a little bit to go there. And so he goes to this place where the need is found, and he goes to the place where the outcasts gather. And these 10 lepers are not identified by their ethnicity, at least not at first. They're identified by their common infirmity. Now, today we have marginalized communities, and a lot of times when you're part of a smaller community, you really start to look out for one another. You really start to care about one another. And I've actually been um, thinking about um, the homeless community that we have. And driving through Langley and Abbotsford, I see lots of places where there's a lot of tents and tarps and kind of makeshift shelters. And people that I know who spend more time with the homeless in our communities tell me that the homeless community is really great at looking out for one another, that they really take care of and try and support and encourage one another. And so we find out later that this band of brothers, these ten lepers, are both Jews and Samaritans. I don't think there's another story in the Bible where Jews and Samaritans actually get along and do life together. This is the one place. There's something really powerful about the shared suffering that draws people together in spite of things that should keep them apart. We're going to talk a little bit more about this later. Now, it's one thing to experience leprosy But it's another to experience the isolation that comes with being left out of society, everyday life, not being able to participate in corporate worship and family events and to just do life together. If you've ever experienced any kind of chronic illness or debilitation or something that kept you from being with other people, you will know that being left out of everyday life as everyone moves along without you, as the world just keeps continuing to turn without you, that that can feel dreadfully isolating. The religious ostracism, the religious and social ostracism is worse than the physical suffering. Staying outside both Samaria and Galilee, the lepers were abiding by what was required by the law. They were to avoid contact with people and announce their presence by crying, unclean, unclean. So this being unclean was a ritual thing, it was a spiritual thing, it was a social thing, and it just made them ugly and gross. People looked at them as rejects, as outcasts, as marginalized. So today we're looking at a story about ten very desperate people. Ten desperate people. In verse 14 it says, When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, according to the law, people with a skin disease had to be examined by a priest or religious leader in order to be declared clean again. I am super glad we don't still do this today. As a religious leader, John and I, we don't want to see your rashes or your skin conditions. How awkward would that be? I can't imagine people actually did it. But back in chapter 5, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus actually cures a leper by touching him. And he says that he is healed and he touches him. But here, Jesus doesn't do that. They actually leave to go see the priest before the healing occurs. And it's as they follow the instructions of Jesus that they find themselves cleansed of leprosy. They don't wait for Jesus to first heal them. They go before the healing. Diane Chen also says, The efficacy of Jesus' miracle is contingent upon the leper's obedience. Had they taken offense to Jesus' seeming inaction, that he didn't touch them, he didn't call them clean, they would not have been healed. The steps the ten leopards take to go to the priest are, in every sense of the word, steps of faith. So how often do we feel called by Jesus to do something, but we're waiting for the miracle to happen first? We know that Jesus is calling us to say something or to do something or to give something or to participate in something, but we wait for the miraculous to come before we feel confident in doing what Jesus calls us to do. Here we see the lepers going before the miraculous. They follow Jesus' instructions when it still seemed impossible. So my prayer for us today is that we may be so bold. That we may be so bold. So it says that as they were walking, as they're on their way, they're healed of their leprosy. Now, um, Leviticus chapter 14, we all love Leviticus, right? If you know, there's a lot of, lot of rules in Leviticus. And uh, victims of leprosy and skin conditions were required to go to the temple to offer prescribed offerings and sin offerings. Leviticus chapter 14 literally has 32 verses on what to do if you have a skin disease like leprosy and what you have to do in order to be considered clean and to be able to re-enter society. I'm going to share a little bit about what you are supposed to do because it is intense. Here are just some of the requirements from Leviticus 14. First of all, you have to bring two birds along with a stick of cedar, scarlet yarn, and a hyssop branch. Okay, those seem very random to me. I know that there's got to be a reason for it. I didn't dive that deep into it this week. But you bring these things, and then the priest slaughters one of the birds over top of a clay pot filled with water. He then is going to take the live bird, the cedar stick, the scarlet yarn, and the hyssop branch and dip them all into the blood of the bird that was slaughtered over the fresh water. He then sprinkles the blood of the dead bird seven times on the person who is being cleansed. He then releases the bird to go fly away in a field. And then they're required to shave all the hair off of their head, including their eyebrows, their beard, everything. And then they bathe themselves in water and wash their clothes. That's day one okay? It keeps going. They then have to remain outside of their tents in the camp for seven more days. And on the seventh day, they again have to shave all the hair off of their head, including their eyebrows and their beards, and they wash all their clothes and bathe themselves again. Then on the eighth day, they bring three lambs, two male, one female, as sin offerings. Then they offer a grain offering of six quarts, and then, they, then the priest will slaughter one of the male lambs. And this is, again, the weirdest part. When I have more time, I'm going to go back and read this again. But like you're supposed to take the blood of one of the male lambs that was slaughtered and put it on the person's right earlobe, their right thumb, and their right big toe. I have no idea why that was supposed to be. Like I said, I'm going to have to go back and read this more later. But how weird is that? And that is an eight-day ceremony, an eight-day ritual, in order to be considered cleansed from your leprosy. But the ten lepers, they haven't done any of that yet. So it sounds like nine of them went to go start this eight-day kind of purification ritual. But one of them, in verse 15, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back, praising God in a loud voice, and he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Luke withholds this interesting detail for dramatic effect, about him being a Samaritan. Not just a leper, but a Samaritan as well. And for those of you who have studied the Bible, you might know that Jews and Samaritans don't get along. They're actually, one of the defining features of them is how much they despise one another. Samaritans are seen as spiritually inferior and second-rate. And here, Jesus is elevating them and saying that only the Samaritan was able to do what was right. Jesus is once again telling people that the kingdom of God is right in front of you. The kingdom of God is at hand, but you're missing it in part because of your religious legalism, because you are so tied to ritual and tradition and things that that are of the law and following the letter of the law that you miss the point of the law. See, the man sees more than the cleansing of his skin. He sees the action of God through Jesus. So his need to thank Jesus overrides his need to get notarized by a priest, according to Leviticus 14. See, the leper is looking beyond the gift, and he is looking at the giver of the gift. So instead of going to the temple like he was told to, he realized that he was already in the presence of God by being with Jesus, and his response is worship and praise and gratitude. So the temple and the priests, they, you don't need them to connect with God when Jesus is standing right in front of you. You don't have to go through the eight-day process when Jesus, when God himself is standing in front of you and you can go directly to him. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through animal sacrifice or through ritual. You can go directly to God himself through Jesus. Being with Jesus supersedes the Levitical law and the temple. Being with Jesus is better than the religious ritual or pronouncement. It's better than the social and relational reinstatement. This is the Samaritan's conversion story where he meets Jesus and nothing else matters. See, this is Albert Schweizer. He says, healing can lead away from salvation when we only want something from God and not God in this something. See, nine lepers were healed, but they missed out on the best part. They missed out on being with the giver of the gift. They missed out on being with Jesus. See, it's not just healing or the removal of an ailment or social restoration that's the goal. Jesus himself is the goal. And that's the point of it all. It's all about connecting people to this life-changing power of Jesus Christ to love God and to love others. And that this is the answer to the truest desire of our hearts, is to be with Jesus A lot of times we think that our deepest desires are things like comfort, or luxury, or stability, or finances, or that perfect relationship. But the leper understands that Jesus supersedes them all. So then Jesus asks him, he says, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise except this foreigner? And he's pointing out the big contrast between the Jews that he was speaking to that would have been listening, and this outsider's supposedly subpar faith. The irony is is that this outsider, unclean, marginalized, despised because of his questionable ancestry, and thought to be under divine curse by virtue of his infirmity of leprosy, demonstrates an understanding of God's salvation and an appreciation of his physical, communal, and spiritual restoration far better than the Jews themselves. Sometimes, sometimes I think being too religious can make us miss out on the good news of Jesus. The good news that Jesus is not a religious system or a a set of rules, that following Jesus is a relationship with the living God that eclipses religion. But Sometimes we can get so caught up in our religious rituals that we miss it, but the Samaritan, the Samaritan leper, he gets it. David Garland says, Offering praise to God and thanks to Jesus not only suffice for making the required offerings, the required offerings of Leviticus 14, but surpass it. See, the point of the law was to reconcile humanity to god that's what the law exists that's what leviticus was about but through this new covenant through the death through the life death and resurrection of jesus we have the freedom and the ability to approach the throne of god directly through the person of jesus rituals animal sacrifice following the letter of the law they've all been superseded by knowing jesus and that's the beauty of the gospel David Garland also says this incident, in this incident, the ten lepers will be restored to their respective communities, but only the one seeks to join a community created by Jesus where ethnic distinctions between Jew and Samaritan are obliterated. And then he says to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. See, Jesus' purpose in miracles is not the miraculous, but it is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So I want to go through... And look at kind of how we can apply this and what this means to us today. So we're going to look at how we are are supposed to be looking at the giver of the gifts and not the gifts themselves. And last time we looked at this passage, we even talked about it earlier. We landed on two things. And I'm going to quickly talk about them and then move on to a couple others. The first is to count your blessings. That this shifts our attitude and our hearts focus not only to the blessing, but to the person who provides the blessings. It causes a change in our focus, and it causes gratitude to kind of well up in us, and that actually combats fear and anxiety. This, last week, I, there was someone in my life that I was feeling quite annoyed with, and I actually started th- listing things that I was thankful for about that person, and all of a sudden, their thing that was annoying me didn't annoy me so much anymore. See, counting your blessings actually causes us to think differently and look at the world differently. It it allows us to see the work of Jesus in our lives. And we are focused on him and not just the things that we wish we had. See, you are chosen and you are loved. You are included, adopted, and valued. God has so much love for you. And too often that doesn't mean as much to us as it should. And so counting our blessings reminds us of God's love for us. N.T. Wright says, there's an old spiritual discipline of listing one's blessings, naming them before God, and giving thanks. It's a healthy thing to do, especially in a world where we too often assume that we have an absolute right to health, happiness, and every possible creature comfort. This is consistent with what Jesus says in Ephesians. He says, always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, because every mouthful of food we take, every breath of air we inhale, every note of music we hear, every smile on the face of a friend, a child, a spouse, all that and a million things more are good gifts from his generosity. So we count our blessings. Then the second one is that we actually just practice saying thank you Thank you to the giver of gifts. We say thank you to the Lord when he gives us good things. And we also practice saying thank you to people when they bless us. This combats materialism and greed by giving us a greater appreciation for what we have received than what we wish we had. Saying thank you can actually be like a balm for our souls that heals anger and selfishness. Pastor John told me a story about a man who wanted to say thank you to everyone who contributed to making his day better. He only got to breakfast and then he gave up because the list was too big. Because here's what he did. He said, okay, I had eggs for breakfast. I need to thank the egg farmer. And I need to thank the delivery guy that drove them From the farm to the factory, from the factory to the store, and the people that did that, the guy that put them on the shelves, the clerk that that sold them to me, the person that made the bag that I put them in, and he started listing all that, and then he was like, and I also woke up in a bed, and that bed had a mattress that was made somewhere, and that that bed mattress was on a bed frame that someone actually had to, like, mill that lumber and then build that bed, and then I stepped out of bed onto carpet, and someone made that carpet, and someone else installed that carpet, and someone else put the subfloor down, and and the electrician came in and he made it so I could have lights when I turned them on and someone else made it so that when I turned on the tap to brush my teeth, I could brush my teeth. And this person started just realizing that there were countless people that he could be thankful to before he finished his breakfast. There's so much that we take for granted. And sometimes entitlement can lead to greed and selfishness thankfulness can actually change us. I want to show you guys something that I have here. Um, This is something that uh, we do at my house from time to time. This is called a thankful list, and I want to encourage you. It it was stuck to my door, and so there's tape on it. Um, But Christina, when when we start to get a little bit like... entitled, I'll say. When she notices that, it's normally Christina that does it. We'll put one of these up on the door and say, hey, let's, let's remember to be thankful for things. So this one is from spring, and uh, in spring is when Christina got her surgery date for March 30th, so we wrote that down. We were really thankful for that. We were thankful for our safe, warm home. Someone was really thankful for the blue sky. We had our friends, or our nieces come over, and one of their boyfriends was thankful for a promotion that he got. Someone else said that, that Christina wrote she's really thankful for our friends John and Emily. Christina got a new light fixture in our living room, and, she was really th- and so she wanted to return thanks for that. And so some of these are really great things, like God sees me. Some of them are like these big theological things, but some of them are a new light fixture, being able to sit on our deck. I want to encourage you to create some kind of list. This week, a couple of times I've sat down and within about three minutes, I filled an entire page of my notebook of things to be thankful for. And that's actually changed my perspective and it's changed my heart. And a little bit later today, I'm gonna be giving you an opportunity to return thanks and bring those things to the cross. That's what these post-its in the front are gonna be for. I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. But I want you to consider creating your own kind of thankful list, either in a book, on a piece of paper, maybe it's a poster in your kitchen. The third thing that I want to pull out from today's Scripture is that we can allow Jesus to meet you in your need. Jesus will meet you in your need. This one is harder because sometimes we don't receive the gifts that we ask for and we don't receive the gifts that we hope for. We sometimes receive different gifts or the answers aren't what we expected. We have to remember that the giver of gifts is not a magical genie or a conjurer of wishes here to serve us. His gifts are often better than the gifts that we ask for. Jesus went to the liminal place, that place on the border, the margin where the left out and the forgotten reside. And that's often where people are most honest about their needs. Where people will actually recognize their needs and share their needs. Where they're not trying to put up a front or come across as independent or put together. I think sometimes we come here and we talk about our church face, right? Like our Sunday morning clothes and we try and look our best and we've got it all figured out. And following Jesus means, I have no problems in my life, right? That's not true at all, by the way. Um, And so Jesus goes to those liminal places. I love that that in our story, it's a community of 10 people with different backgrounds, but their ailments override their differences that would have otherwise kept them apart. See, sharing our hurt and pain and struggle tears down the walls of hostility and division. When you share your pain, when you share your struggle, when you share whatever hard issue you're coping with, that permissions other people to share their pain. And their struggle. And when they share their pain, it permissions more people to share their struggle and their pain. And in, after not too long, you are brought out of that isolation because you're no longer suffering alone. You're actually suffering in a community where you carry each other's burdens, just like these 10 lepers did. Christina has taught me this, and she's still teaching me this. She decided a long time ago, as someone who really wrestles with uh, a number of chronic health issues, that when people ask her how she's doing, she's not gonna say fine. She normally doesn't say fine anymore, and when she posts things online, she posts both the good and the really hard things. And what has happened is that she stopped pretending that everything is good all the time, and in doing so, she's had countless people reach out to her with things that they were struggling with on their own. And by her sharing, it gave people the courage to share. And instead of people suffering in isolation, they've actually been able to carry burdens and support one another, and to be an encouragement to one another. I love this quote from David Garland. It says, Jesus erected no walls that said keep out, but instead he broke down walls. And he moved across geographical, national, ritual, and racial barriers to embrace all humans. The in-castes are no different from the outcasts when it comes to God's healing grace and salvation, which know no castes at them. Jesus is creating this new community and a new kingdom. It's a new way of living where the outcasts and the marginalized are no longer excluded because of sickness, because of brokenness, because of economics, because of appearance, because of superficial things or even ability. And thankfulness and gratitude to Jesus are an important part of how we participate in this new kingdom. And the last point is, is it's so important to remember that this is all about Jesus. It's not about following the rule to the letter of the law. It's not about Leviticus 14 anymore. David Garland says, Many received healing in their lives, but only a few encounter God in their healing. So my desire for us is to be a community where we encounter God in our healing, in our brokenness, in our struggle, and in our thanksgiving, and to move beyond the gift to the giver of the gift. That the person of Jesus is superior and surpasses all those other ways that we try and make ourselves right, that we try and fix ourselves. So we wanna bring our praise and thankfulness and brokenness directly to Jesus, directly to him. We don't need to visit a priest. So let's never get stuck in a religion that isn't about first coming to Jesus. So one way that I'm gonna invite you to show your gratitude today is to come up during our last two songs and to write on these post-it notes i invite the worship team to come up right now. Um, and so what, what I'm going to invite you to do is come up, and uh, we're going to have two full songs to do this, so you don't have to do it right away. And to be honest, as I was thinking this through, I was like, this could be a gong show and go horribly wrong today. Because what I'm going to ask you to do is come and write down on Post-its. There's also some behind the sound booth for people in the balcony. And then to come down, and while the band is playing, to walk up on the stage... I'm going to show you, I I pre-wrote a couple of mine, and and you might write on one or two or three post-it notes, I have three, and while the band's playing, you're just going to come up here, and you're going to bring these things to Jesus, and the same way that the one leper returned and he brought it directly to Jesus, I'm going to encourage you to come and just give your items that you are thankful for, and bring them up close to the cross here. These can be big things. One of the things that I have on there is my pool. I'm really thankful for my pool this week. But I also have that Christina had successful surgery. And so we can be thankful for material things. We can be thankful for all sorts of things. So I'm going to invite you to come up to write on these post-it notes, to head up on the stage and just put them all along that back wall. You can like give the worship players a little nod as you walk by them if you like. But it's going to be a little bit awkward and a little bit weird, and that's okay. If coming up on the stage where there's chords over the place, and like not great handrails and stuff is something that's uncomfortable for you, come up and just write on a Post-it note and leave it on the table, and then someone else will bring it up to the cross for you. So if that's something that a way that allows you to participate in a way that's more comfortable. Even our kids are gonna be coming through. Uh, Our kids' teachers are talking to them about thankfulness right now, and they're gonna come through, and they've written on Post-it notes, and they're gonna come in at some point. It's gonna be a big gong show as they come through up on the stage while the band's playing. Anything could happen, folks. Anything could happen. But we want to be like that one Samaritan leopard that brought our thankfulness to Jesus. So today I want to encourage you to come to the cross. Come to the cross of Jesus and in a symbolic way return thanks for one or two or three or four things. Just write them on your post-it note. Bring them up on the stage. Put them on the back wall and bring them to Jesus. So let's pray together. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And so, Lord, we come to you with grateful hearts today. God, increase our gratitude towards you, Jesus. God, help us to not forget that you are the giver of all good gifts. God, may we never be um, uh, entitled. God, may we never... May we never feel like we just deserve all these good things in our lives, but Lord, may we be reminded of how good you are and that you give us every good and perfect gift. God, we repent of the times that, we, that you have worked in our lives and we've ignored that, and we've just moved on with our lives like the nine lepers that just kept going. Forgiveness of ignorance and complacency and allow us to live lives that, that appreciate you And God, we're so thankful that we can approach you directly. We don't have to go through a priest or a sacrificial system. We're so thankful that the good news of Jesus is is that you love us and that we can come to you directly. And so, Lord Jesus, we come and we bring you our gratitude and our thankfulness today in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So feel free while the worship team is leading to come and return thanks to the Lord.